0: Hey, what up? This is Sheggs from Sheggsandstuff.com, and this week's blog post is titled, When You Love Jesus, But Are Really Afraid of Dying for Him. You can find out more about the blog post on our website, www.sheggsandstuff.com, where through biblical teaching and encouragement, we remind you weekly that God not only loves you, but still likes you. Alright, so here's a statement that you may find to be true, and it's this martyrdom, right, so martyrdom is dying for your faith. So martyrdom is a test that every single Christian hopes to pass. But if we're honest, none of us would ever want to take. Like, I've never had a gun pointed at my face or a knife held to my throat, accompanied with a demand to renounce my faith in Christ. Now, I'd like to think that if that moment were to ever rear its ugly head, I'd hope that I would be faithful to Jesus, even to the point of death. But if I'm being honest, man, I fear that the opposite may be true. Like, I've never publicly denied Jesus Christ, but man, I've on occasion been timid in social settings, social gatherings, where an opportunity presented itself to make Christ known. And so I surmise that if I'm not bold enough for Jesus in those moments, then I may struggle in those most extreme moments where my life is on the line. Now, this is not a pity party. It's an honest Self-evaluation and you may find that to be true for yourself. Now, the scary truth is that such a scenario may someday become a reality for many of us within Christendom. It's certainly already true for many brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe who are presently being martyred. Now, Jesus himself knew that such times would come. In fact, he writes very specifically about what you and I ought to do as his followers should we find ourselves in a tough spot where we are required to be faithful to him, even to the point of death. Um, His words are in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11 in his letter to the Christians in the church of the small city of Smyrna. Now, I could read that account to you in Revelation in this third part of our series through the book of Revelation. I could tell you the what, the where, the why, the how, and the who, but rather than do that, I want to tell you a story in this week's blog post, a story that took place in the very city that Jesus Christ was writing to, a story that illustrates the big idea he's getting at to his letter and to the believers in Smyrna in a letter or a story that occurred 50 years after the writing of this letter. The story is the story of a man named Polycarp. Now, Polycarp was a Christian who lived at the end of the age of the original 12 apostles, right about when the church was making a critical transition to the second generation of believers. Tradition suggests that Polycarp was actually personally discipled by the last living apostle, John, who's also the author of the book of Revelation, and, and that he was discipled by John and others who had personally sat under the teaching of Jesus Christ. Polycarp was a staunch defender of the Christian faith and was eventually appointed as the bishop of the city of Smyrna. Now, he had very little formal education, but he was direct, unpretentious, yet humble. In fact, in one account, Polycarp confronts a heretic named Marcion, a Gnostic and calls him the firstborn of Satan. That's what Polycarp dealt with. However, Polycarp lived during a period of history when Christians were deeply hated. You see, wealthy, influential Jews opposed and oppressed a small band of mostly poor Christians in the city of Smyrna. In fact, the oppression also flowed in from their Roman rulers. Violent persecution of Christians was the order of the day when Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome between 161 um, and 180 A.D. And any and every excuse was given to, to persecute Christians, to burn them, to impale them, or to feed them to wild beasts in their arenas. One author writes this about the experience of Christians in that period. He says, they, that's the hostile Jews and some of the Romans, slandered the Christians for cannibalism, saying that they ate flesh and drank blood at the Lord's table. They slandered the Christians for lust and immorality because they greeted one another with a holy kiss and held love feast, as Paul instructed. They slandered them for homewrecking because one member of a home became a Christian and it brought a sword into the household. They slandered them for atheism because they rejected the worship of emperors and deities of Rome. They slandered them for rebellion and political disloyalty because they said it was tantamount to mutiny. The Jews, wanting to destroy Christian faith, went to the Romans to report the Christians that they might lose their lives. And it, in fact, this that you just read that I just quoted to you um, was the afflictions and poverty and slander that Jesus said the Christians would experience in Smyrna, according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Now, by age 65, Polycarp was right in the middle of this persecution. In fact, his time had come. It's not quite clear why in 156 A.D., the hostile city of Smyrna suddenly began to cry out, Away with the atheist, and let Polycarp be sought out. When news reached the elderly church father that his life was being sought, he didn't panic nor was he in any measure disturbed. Rather, he simply continued to carry out his work of ministry. However, in deference to the wish of those who loved him and were concerned for his well-being, he was persuaded to leave the city. So settling down in a country house not too far from the city, he busied his time night and day interceding in prayer for any and everyone the Lord brought to his mind and for the churches throughout the world. In fact, it was actually during one of these prayer times, three days before he'd be martyred, that he was shown a vision. And in this vision, he watched as the pillow he was laying his head on caught on fire. And upon waking up, he spoke to those who were with him, prophetically saying, I must be burned alive. While the hunt for the elderly man continued, each time his pursuers neared him, he was actually able to move on to another location before they closed in. Once, when his persecutors could not find him, they arrested two youths who had been with him and tortured at least one of them until he revealed where Polycarp was staying. When the authorities finally caught up with Polycarp, they found him lying down in the upper room of a cottage. Now, though he still had the means to escape prior to their arrival an actual arrest polycarp actually refused to escape and simply said let god's will be done and so going out to meet the man who came to arrest him he presented himself now his arresting officers were actually marveled at his age and faithfulness and said to himself said to themselves why has so much effort been made to capture a man like this so immediately polycarp invited the men in for food and drink then requested that he be given at least an hour to pray uninterrupted and so they agreed, and Polycarp stood praying for almost two hours, being so full of the grace of God. And those listening were actually astounded. Many of them began to question their decision to come arrest such a godly, devoted old man. Well, when Polycarp was done praying, the man loaded him up on a donkey and led him to the city on the Sabbath. And as he neared the arena where he'd be killed, there came a voice from heaven saying to Polycarp, Be strong and be a man, O Polycarp. Now, no one saw who spoke, but all of them record, it's recorded that they all heard the voice. When Polycarp finally entered the stadium and the crowds heard that he had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul approached him and queried if he was indeed Polycarp. Polycarp did not deny himself or his faith, and the proconsul then tried to get him to apostatize, saying, Have respect for your old age and swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, Down with the atheist, atheist being Christians. Polycarp gazed sternly at the hostile multitudes in the stands and waving his hands in their di- general direction, he looked at the- to the heavens and said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? Again, proconsul pressed him, "Renounce your faith, but Polycarp responded, since you are so vainly urgent in having me recount my faith in Jesus Christ, then hear me clearly on this. I am a Christian. If you wish to learn what the Christian doctrines are, set a time and a date, and I will gladly lay it out for you. The proconsul replied, then persuade the crowds. But Polycarp said, I thought it appropriate to share my faith with you, for we are are taught to give due honor to the government authorities that have been put in place by God. But as for these crowds, I do not deem them worthy to receive any testimony from me. Proconsul looked at him and said, I have wild beasts waiting behind these gates. I will set them loose on you if you do not renounce your beliefs. Call them, Polycarp responded, for it is unthinkable for me to repent of what is good in order to adopt what is evil. Besides, it serves me well to be transformed from what is evil to what is righteous. Wild beasts don't scare you? Then I'll have them burn you alive at the stake. Halicarp responded, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is afterwards extinguished. But you are completely ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. So why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Well, the proconsul was astounded as the elderly man, at the elderly man's confidence and grace in the face of imminent death. So much so that he sent his messenger into the crowd at least three times to proclaim Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. While the crowds, who were eager for blood, cried out in one voice in almost uncontrollable fury, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, and the overthrower of our gods, he who has been teaching many not to sacrifice to worship the gods. And so they urged Philip, the Asiarch, which is the superintendent of the public games and religious rites, they urged Philip to set loose a lion on Polycarp. But Philip answered that it was not lawful for him to do so, seeing that the shows of the wild beast were already done for the day. Well, the crowds switched tones and began calling for the burning alive of Polycarp, which in fact was the very death Polycarp had foreseen in his dream. Oh, well, what happens next occurred in less time than it takes to explain it. Multitudes immediately gathered wood and bundle of sticks from nearby shops and public baths. Now the Jews, who as usual were eager to help, joined in. And while the pile was being readied, Polycarp began to undress as he climbed on the pie. When they tried to secure him to the stake with nails, he responded, Leave me as I am, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. And so the crowds simply tied his hands behind his back like a ram being readied for a sacrificial slaughter. And fully ready to be acceptable as a burnt offering to God, Polycarp prayed, O Lord God, Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice, as you, the true God hath predestined, revealed to me, and now fulfilled. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you, along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. To you, with him, through the Holy Ghost, be glory both now and forever. Amen. As soon as Polycarp pronounced his last Amen, the fire was lit and a flame blazed furiously. Now, those believers who were present described immediately witnessing a great miracle. They explained that the fire actually shaped itself into the form of an ark, like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind and formed a circle around the body of Polycarp. Inside the fiery ark, Polycarp looked not like flesh that is burnt, but like bread that is baked or gold and silver glowing in furnace. They also explained that rather than burnt human flesh, they smelt a sweet scent like frankincense or some such precious spice. Eventually, when his persecutors saw that the fire was not consuming his body, an executioner was ordered to pierce him like a dagger. Now, different stories have circulated about what happened the moment Polycarpus pierced, but all agree that it marked the final breath of this godly man, an apostol- apostolic and prophetic teacher and bishop of Smyrna. So let's Reflect on that story for a moment because it's a picture of what it means to be unashamed and unafraid even at the point of death. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was reflecting on that story, I was thinking that, man, that last moment would have been the perfect time for Jesus to make a dramatic entrance, right? Like polycarp was already not burning, like It would have been the perfect moment for Jesus to show up and prove what he wrote to the church in Smyrna 50 years earlier in Revelation 2, verse 8, where he said, I am the first and the last who died and came to life again. In other words, death has nothing on him. But Jesus chose not to show up. Why? Because death, though sorrowful, is not the end. You see, in the latter part of Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus calls for believers to be faithful even to the point of death, and he would indeed give us a victor's crown. And the only reason why Jesus would urge believers not to be afraid of death, but to be faithful even to the point of death, is if he, that's Jesus, if he knows something about death that no one else does, which of course we all know today. So are you ready? Here's what Jesus knew and what he knows about death. And it's this, that death... For the believer is not the end, but a passageway to greater glory. Death is not the end, but a passageway to greater glory for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, at the cross of Jesus, Christ essentially rendered Satan, sin, and death's power Useless. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, explains exactly what happened. It says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, that's Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And so only in this way could he set free. All who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So he, here, here's the Hebrew. Here's the author of Hebrews' point. Though physical death still hurts, Jesus has stripped it of its ultimate sting, so that a nanosecond after you and I die or take our last breath in this life, we will awake in the next life in a magnificent, glorious bodily form that's sturdier and healthier than than we've ever been, even in our best of days. You see, Polycarp understood this truth, which is why he was able to endure the persecution and execution that he faced. You see, he knew that though Satan might slander him and his church through those who claim to be Jews but are really not, they're from the synagogue of Satan, according to Jesus in Revelation 2, And though he and many in his church would be put in prison and suffer persecution for 10 days, which would more than likely result in their death. You see, Polycarp understood that the second death, which is eternal separation from God, had already been conquered by Jesus Christ. Hence, death in this life is actually sweet release. And Polycarp understood, and really every believer is called to understand, that Jesus will stand beside us, even in a fiery bodily death in this life. This is the promise of Jesus Christ himself, should you or I ever find ourselves in a tough spot where we might need to prove faithful to him, even to the point of death. Now, the truth is this. Death will hurt. And its sting is very real and very present. But death for the believer, however, only brings us closer to our eternal union with the lover of our souls in our eternal home. And through the cross and his blood shed on the cross that is applied to our lives when we put our faith in him, Jesus has ensured that you and I not only have to face or will never have to face the second death, but man, we'll, we'll live eternally and blissfully with God The Father, and it is this reminder that Jesus encouraged the Smyrnans and every believer with, should we have to face our own moment of death. Now, I'd like to add one last note to American Christians. So most of us living in the Western Hemisphere of the world will probably not face that kind of persecution that leads to death, at least not anytime soon. Because let's be honest here. Despite all the opposition that Christianity may be facing in our culture in America today, listen, there's no one banging down our doors with guns or flaming torches demanding we recount our faith. And so where Jesus' words in Revelation 2 may be most applicable to us is really in the perseverance of our faith, not in the face of death, but in the face of emotional or spiritual weariness. For example, you may have been waiting for several years for an answered prayer and you're starting to grow weary of trusting in God or perhaps you may be facing a financial or perhaps relational or emotional or even health troubles and all of it is just starting to wear you down. And in your experience, the daily grind of life may prove to be a greater threat to your faith than the actual threat of death. And so Jesus' words, be faithful even to the point of death, may be better rendered to 2016 americans be faithful even when you feel worn down or beat down and so the encouragement is this for you do not become weary in doing good deeds and don't throw in the towel because your labor isn't producing immediate fruit jesus is far more concerned with your faithfulness to the task that he's assigned to you than he is about the level of results that you produce So the encouragement here for you is this. Stay faithful to him, even to the point of death or spiritual or emotional exhaustion. For in due time, he who called you will reward you. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. I pray the peace of God would surround you. I pray his safety over your life. And I pray for God's strength over you that no matter what you face this week, you will find joy satisfaction, and peace in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening.